Thank you for listening to the First Baptist Church podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcottawa.org. about the horns of a dilemma for a sermon this morning that's to be contained within any time frame at all. To read Micah, what does the Lord require of you, O mortal, but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. And then to read the Beatitudes, Jesus' proclamation of the upside-down, cruciform lifestyle of any and all who would choose to follow him. I mean, like one could, one could teach and preach on Micah for days, weeks, and then never stop, right? Teaching and preaching and understanding and meditating on and contemplating the Beatitudes because all of those things are counter to the way we usually think. They're counter to the ways of the world. They're counter to the ways we really, if we're honest, that we think the world works. Like things just don't work that way. I mean, in our pondering the way the world works, do we really think the world works by mercy? Do we really think that it works by kindness? Do we really want, like, justice. I don't mean like heavy-handed court system justice. I mean like shalom justice where everybody has a seat at the table and and food on their plate and, and place to live where there's opportunity for human flourishing for all. I mean, do we really want justice? Do we really want to do justice? Do we really love mercy or do we want a little bit of vengeance mixed in with our mercy? And then those Beatitudes. It's all upside down. And then Paul is talking about the foolishness of the cross. Well, I guess if you think about it, Paul is on to something. I mean, who would devise a plan to, to demonstrate the wisdom of God through a capital punishment device. The foolishness of the cross. I mean, have you ever stopped to think about what it took for the early Christians, for Paul, for the apostles, to begin to declare that the cross on which Jesus died has to do with the redemption of all of humanity, has to do with the, the forgiveness of sins according to the Scriptures as they proclaimed, that it has to do with, with redeeming us from the principalities and powers and overcoming all that would oppress us, that has to do with, with overcoming the power of sin as in capital S sin, like the power that oppresses all of humanity. I mean, I don't think any of us are ready to start wearing around either uh, a capital punishment electric chair or a lethal injection syringe as celebrating something. And yet, the cross was exactly that. It was a means of punishing criminals, rebels, those who would defy the way of Rome or the way of, of the powers that be religious, 
political, imperial, kingly, the way that it would be a demonstration, do not go against the way the world works. Jesus would have known. The disciples would have known. The apostle Paul would have known. They would have seen crosses. The Romans practiced crucifixion at an alarming rate as a way to to quell and put down and squash all rebellion. There were rebellions against Rome in which there were literally thousands of people crucified for daring to stand up against imperial power, against the Caesar who would declare himself to be the divine son of God. So they would have known, they would have known and seen the horrors of crucifixion the horrors of the cross and no leader no anointed one no messiah could be imagined could possibly be imagined to suffer a death on a cross not crucifixion oh martyred in some way go against the grain in which they might die or be be killed but a cross And then that to be transformed into that which we sang about this morning, oh, the wonderful cross. That to be transformed, it's a mystery indeed. We can begin this morning unpacking and through the weeks ahead, just talk more and more about that which God in Christ has done for us. You see, the the Jews were seeking signs. They were seeking demonstrations. They were seeking, but not a cross. The Gentiles, the, the Hellenists, the Greeks, they're seeking like philosophical wisdom. Well, that's not a cross. It's an upside-down way, but here, here's this. Here's the beginning of unfolding the power of the mystery. The very cross which the Romans used to put down rebellion... Jesus died on to announce freedom of, for all humanity. The, the very cross which, which the Romans used to intimidate, Jesus died on to announce hope and forgiveness. The, the very cross that says, this is the way of the world, go this way, Jesus died on, says this is the way of God, go this way. Go this way. So Paul is talking about the foolishness of the cross. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And you know, when you look at the early preaching and the acts of the apostles, when you look at the message of the gospels, when you look at the message throughout the the epistles and the letters, they can't stop talking about the message of the cross where there's forgiveness of sin. You see, here's, here's what I want to say to us this morning, that, that in, the, in the seeking rightly to be places and churches that are places of love and welcome and the radical inclusive love of Jesus, we want to make sure that we stay rooted in where that comes from. That doesn't come from a philosophical idea. That doesn't come from a desire that we as humans want to be more tolerant. That doesn't come because we got smarter or nicer or more kind. It came because God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself. That Jesus became obedient to death, even death on a cross. It came through the humility of God in Christ coming down, walking among us, and ending up 
on a Roman cross where he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The Jesus who welcomed everyone, who touched the leper, the Jesus who, who forgave sins, the Jesus who, who walked among us and invited tax collectors to be his disciples and went to parties at their house, the Jesus whose hospitality was wide, whose arms were open wide even before the cross, that Jesus is the one who died there saying, Father, forgive them. The radical, inclusive love of Jesus comes because Jesus gave his life upon the cross. The radical, inclusive love is through the demonstration, the, the moral example. Abelard's theory of atonement is, is the example theory, demonstrating the love of God. Or, or the Christus Victor theory of atonement, where, where there's the victory over the powers, but there's also, there's also a bit, and we'll get into this more later, of Anselm talking about the satisfaction, and then the justification, and then the rectification, and the righteousness of God. God making things right mysteriously through the cross. Now let me make something abundantly clear. The cross did not change God. The cross revealed the heart of God. God was not acting upon the Son. God is acting in the Son. It's a Trinitarian event. God and Christ mediated through the Spirit. The cross did not change God's mind. The cross demonstrated God's heart. The, the cross is not Jesus receiving the blows of an angry God, but rather Jesus being God in the flesh. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. This is how we know what love is that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Or, for God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that when we were sinners, he sent Jesus to die. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. We must be abundantly plain as we explicate and explore and walk the way of the cross that the cross is the beautiful demonstration of the heart of God and the victory of God. And as Paul writes in his letter to the church at Corinth that there is something about the cross that reveals the wisdom of God, that reveals righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Now those are big words, but it reveals, it reveals things being right and an opportunity for things to be right in us and right with others and right relationship with God and with humans and with society. Righteousness, doing things, setting things right. Sanctification is that word for just living with with holiness in mind, living, just being good humans. Good and beautiful and kind is a title of Rich Velodot's wonderful book, Good and Beautiful and Kind. Living as people who are being made whole or holy. And then redemption, like that which has gone wrong is being made right. Jesus stretching out his arms upon the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of his saving embrace. And then we seek to be changed by that, that embrace that we have received, and then we pray, and so may we too reach forth our hands in love to bring all who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you, O God, for the glory of your name. Redemption in order that, that the one who boasts, boast in the Lord who died on the cross who died on the cross. 
So Paul is talking and almost obsessing as he's writing to the church at Corinth. And we've explored in past weeks how the church in Corinth had all kinds of gifts. They had wisdom. They had charismatic gifts. And they, they had a variety of people. And they had factions and division and problems. And Paul starts out talking about the cross. How do you make a world gone wrong right? You, well, you dive in to the way of the cross. How does a life gone wrong be made right? We immerse ourselves in the way of the cross. And that this morning is where the other readings that we read that, that could jump off and just teach and preach and get excited about and we could study for weeks and months together. But it's a different way. You see, a, a, God, who would, a God who would walk among us in human flesh, Jesus, who would surrender himself to death, even death on a cross, as Paul writes in Philippians. That's an upside-down way. That's an upside-down way. We think about power. We think about muscle. We think about domination. We often think in the ways of the world that are ways of security, in strength. And Jesus dies in vulnerability, revealing the strength of his mercy and his kindness. No wonder Paul may write the foolishness of the cross. But then there's those words from the prophet, it's not the way we live. And then the Beatitudes, Jesus announcing, and in many ways, the Beatitudes are the cruciform, cross-like, cross-shaped way of life. That's what the Beatitudes are. Jesus lived the Beatitudes. Jesus, even in being obedient to death on a cross, is a living, breathing demonstration of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, is that what we value? Is that what we value? Blessed are the poor in spirit. We tend, to, we tend to value the strong and the mighty and the powerful and, we, and the rich. And we admire them and we feign after them and we are fascinated by them. And here comes Jesus saying, blessed are those who think that they maybe aren't quite worth it. That maybe think that they're not quite good enough or special enough or... Blessed are those who don't think so highly of themselves. Blessed are those who, who think they're not spiritual enough. Blessed, happy are those they're welcome at the table. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are so in touch with the brokenness of the world and the brokenness within themselves and the sadness within themselves that there's room for the light of God to shine. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And we live in a culture and a society that is seeking to avoid the tears and avoid the suffering and avoid the way. And, and, and if we could, we would seek to defy and avoid death at all cost. But there's no escaping those realities. And Jesus comes and says that upside down, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Are you kidding? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are strong enough not to insist on their own way. Blessed are those who, who are at peace enough with God in themselves that they don't have to muscle and steamroll their way into the world. Blessed are the meek. Oh, I, I'm so concerned that in so much of, 
of the Christian world today that we have made after we've made Jesus in our own desired image to be mighty and strong and muscular. And if you wonder about tracing the history of that, check out Christian Colbez Dumay and Jesus, the book Jesus and John Wayne. We have, we have sought to make Jesus a, a muscular, athletic. He's going to dominate. And he says, no, I'm going to lay down my life for you. And I'm going to show you my strength in the weakness of the cross. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are not insisting and not steamrolling and not powerful and not blustering and not loud and just walk among. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I like to say justice. That Greek word dikesune is both righteousness and justice. Blessed are those who want to see things set right for those for whom so many things seem wrong. Blessed are those who want to see the world made right, who want to see the, the hungry fed and, and those without shelter housed. And blessed are those who, who want to see everybody have a seat at the table. Blessed are those whose hearts break for those who are broken by the systems of the world or the judgments or exclusion or walls that the church puts up. Blessed are those who want to seek what's right what's just, what's shalom, what's flourishing for everyone. Blessed are the ones who take up the cause for those that are lost and broken. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. You see, all of these values are cruciform in the shape of, of Jesus who died for us. Blessed are the merciful. What does the Lord require of you, O man, but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God? Blessed are the merciful, for in their greatest time of need, they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are those, blessed are those who are merciful as a practice, as a habit, as a reflex. You know, so often we want mercy for ourselves and we want <clears throat> justice for others. Jesus says, blessed are those whose disposition is mercy. They've looked upon themselves and upon Jesus from the cross, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We have found our need and our need met through Jesus. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who have no guile, no deception, no hidden motive. No desire for power over, but rather to serve and to love. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will be the ones who can show us God. Sometimes I think we get too smart for ourselves. Blessed are the pure in heart. We get too smart for ourselves. Many years ago, relatively many little Kathy she was about yay tall Kathy uh, had cerebral palsy and had some other special needs and she came to the church I was pastoring at the time and she would come up while the pianist was playing and just smile that little Cerebral palsy, a little bit of Down syndrome, glorious little smile. She just glowed. 
She just glowed. She was unaware of anybody or anything else because she was just the music of the piano. She just glowed. I was at the hospital the day that Kathy passed. And I'm convinced, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Kathy also had a little habit. A couple times she came up to me and she said, Pastor Tiger, would you please clean my glasses? I guess if I could speak to her now, I'd say, Kathy, I don't need to clean your glasses because you can see better than all of us combined. Blessed are the pure in heart. And then when we go against the way of the world, we may find ourselves sometimes not being talked about very well. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for justice. When you do the right thing, people will see it as the wrong thing because it's not the way the world works. When we advocate for a bigger table, when we advocate for a bigger embrace, when we speak against the way of superpower, sometimes it's not popular. When we speak against the, the little g-gods of the world, of money, Mammon, Aphrodite, sex, Mars, power. When we speak against those and we speak of one who would die on a cross, some will say that's foolishness. Blessed are those who are persecuted. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So I close this morning with reviewing some lyrics we sang earlier. In all of our journey, in all of our journey of thinking and theologizing, in all of our journey of thinking about church and thinking about ways to, to invite and ways to include and ways to be loving to all, may it all be rooted in the old rugged cross. On a hill far away, stood an old rugged cross so despised by the world an emblem of suffering and shame jesus jesus dying outside the city gates taking upon the shame of the world and the shame of you and i something mysterious about the shame of us all the sin of us all is like laser focused upon the person of he receives it that there might be something done to rectify all that has gone wrong. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Shall cherish the old rugged cross on that old rugged cross so despised by the world. Nobody wanted, like the cross was, was fear, intimidation. Think about the marvelous indescribable mystery that has taken place that that was that was filled with shame that was filled with judgment that was filled with Jesus has transformed and in the beauty into the beauty that will save the world 
The cross has become a wondrous attraction to me for the dear Lamb of God. Something happened there where sins dealt with. Sometimes just walk in the mystery. You see, we lose, we lose the wonder of the cross if we try to reduce what took place there to a formula. If we insist it can be explained logically, we are no longer astonished at the beauty, and we're no longer astonished, and we'll, well, we'll start evaluating the hymns to see if they got too much blood in them or this and that. But do not. May we never lose. May we never lose being astonished at the love of God revealed in Christ upon the cross. For twas on that old cross where Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. And then as I reflect on September of this past year and September the 27th of this past year at 7.51, when my dad drew his last breath at the hospital in Lexington, Kentucky, in a funeral on October the 2nd of this past year, then he'll call me someday to my home far away where his glory forever I'll share. Something, something happened. Something happened 2,000 years ago that means that death is not going to have the final word because death has been stared in the face and Satan has been looked at and death is, is going to be conquered and Satan is not going to have the final word. Death won't have the final word. That Life will have the final word. And in that, we can rest and have some peace. So indeed, I will cherish the old rugged cross where darkness becomes light. Let's pray. O eternal and loving God whose love is literally broken and spilled out for all of us to see. May we simply find ourselves astonished at the revelation of the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world that always in your heart, O oh God, was the redemption, righting of wrongs, forgiving of sin, demonstrating of love, victory over the powers good news of your love and forgiveness for us, for the world, and victory over the power of sin. The making of that which is wrong right again. May we never lose sight of the cross and the person, Jesus, who died there and who was raised. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the First Baptist Church podcast. We invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 930 in Ottawa, Kansas. You can find more information about our church at www. 
www.fbcottawa.org.